and welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. Well, thank you, Pastor Steve. I, uh, we were truly blessed last week when he came to us over in, uh, in Freeport. And like he said, I, uh, I uh, worked at UPS for 30 years. I retired about three years ago when the Lord said, get out of there. I got something else for you to do. Amen. So I've been pastor in Freeport for about three years, almost three years. September will be three years. So I'm new, but I've been in church my entire life. My dad was a pastor there, what, two pastors before me. So, um, so I grew up in church all my life. And, but uh, while I was working at UPS, I got turned on to Andrew. And the beauty about working at UPS is that you don't have nobody hovering over your back. You're not in the office eight hours a day. You just leave the building and they say, don't come back until everything is delivered. <laughs> so you're pretty much on your own. So you know what I did? I listened to Andrew Womack from the time I left the building <laughs> till the time I got back for about five years straight. I listened to every single teaching he has. And it, of course, you all know, it changed me. <laughs> Completely changed me to the point where I just could not hear anything else that wasn't the truth. So when I got there and I kind of was asking the Lord, I was like, Lord, how am I going to introduce this stuff? You know, but I did it and they responded, so that's great. But I don't want to spend the whole time talking about me. I need to get into this word. He says I got till noon. What time is it? So it's 10.52 and... I might have a lot to say, I don't know, but we'll see. Well, we're talking about baptism. I'm thanking my lovely wife, my sisters here, my uh, musician and his mom came to be with me. They said they didn't want me to uh, be up here by myself, but I could have handled it. I'm a big boy. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to talk about water baptism, the truth of water baptism. So. I don't know what I got on here starting out. What is the significance of baptism? Why is it important? Why should I consider to get baptized? Also, what is the truth about baptism, meaning what it is and what it is not? Because we know there's a lot of stuff out there that it is not. So we're going to try to hit all that stuff and some other things. Actually, it was going one way, but toward the end, it kind of got turned a different way. But I just said, well, Lord, if that's the way it's going, that's the way it's going. So... Why do we get baptism? Well, my first thing I put up here, well, hey, Jesus did it, right? I said, hey, let's follow Jesus. If he got baptized, if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me. That's what we should always be saying. And he, he wasn't even a sinner, but he humbled himself in obedience to this father, and he identified with us and gave us an example to follow. So we as believers, I think we should follow his example, right? Now, I believe that obedience is, is, is I mean, uh, 
Baptism is an act of obedience, and we'll see that in Scripture in a few seconds. And so it's an act of obedience. Also, is it an act of faith? But it is also an act of love, right? It's an act of love. So let's see what the Bible says about it. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. This is the NLT version. And uh, see, I'm going to get spoiled because we don't have a screen at my church, but he, 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 you, you get to get the scriptures put up there. But I got them wrote down because... So that says, uh, this is the NLT version, and the reason why I picked this version, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure on the Pastor Steve's teaching, you know why I did that, because I wanted the correct word in there. We're not making converts, right? <laughs> so the NLT version says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, let's stop right there. There's already been some controversy about that. Who do we baptize in? Did you baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost? Did you say, Jesus, if you don't do it this way, you're doing it wrong. You got to do it like that. There's been some controversy even over that. So here it says, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But we don't find actually anywhere in the scripture where they actually did that. They always just, in the book of Acts, they just baptized in the name of Jesus. And because of that, well, some people made a doctrine out of that. And, you know, we got all this mixed up stuff. But when you baptize here, if, if you baptize in the name of Jesus, you are baptizing in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Because Colossians 2.9 says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, you know, bodily. So baptizing in the name of Jesus is all three. So I say whether you baptize in the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, or Jesus, if you understand Colossians 2.9, you're doing it properly. So, you know, we can get rid of that. <laughs> so the name of Jesus is correct. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this passage established water baptism then as a commandment, right? He's telling us this is something that we should do. So as believers in Jesus, if we say we're going to be committed to him, well, out of love for him, then we should get baptized. Out of love for Jesus, he set the example. So I will get baptized. Now, with that said, you know, we should get baptized out of love that we have for Jesus. But now... One of these things that baptism is not, but water baptism is not a requirement for salvation. Neither does it cause salvation. Now, I'm not belittling in the fact that we should do it, but, you know, this is a truth that needs to be understood. It's not a requirement for salvation. Neither does it cause it. So you can't listen to anybody that says, hey, man, it's great that you accepted the gospel message, but you got to get baptized if you really want to receive salvation. We know that is not true. That is not true. And that's the same thing we saw happening about 2000 years ago. Right. With the Apostle Paul, when he was preaching his spiritual message and people came behind him and said, you know what? Paul's message is pretty good, but you need to be circumcised. Also, you can't just know you got to get circumcised. You got to do something physical to make what happened right. And of course, Paul wasn't happy about it. And in fact, Paul was very, very frustrated about it. To the fact where he wrote in Ephesians, I mean, in Galatians 3 and 1, he says, you foolish Galatians, what in the world happened to you? Who has bewitched you and you done got this truth all twisted? He wasn't happy about it. So he said, what did I teach you people? I didn't teach you this. 
So, well, let's fast forward now to our day and age. I think that the Apostle Paul would come and say the same thing to us. You foolish believers. Who told you that unless you was baptized, you couldn't be saved? I mean, it's the same thing. And he would probably just as be frustrated as us that he was with them. But this is what he said. I like what he said in 1 Corinthians 1.17. This is King James. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So why would Paul make that statement if we needed water baptism to receive salvation? Paul said, I was, I was sent to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that by grace you are saved through faith. That's all it takes. So true faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross is sufficient for salvation, and it doesn't require any additional works. And that's what Paul told us through the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We know that's a very familiar scripture. So if water baptism was required for salvation, then in so many words, we're saying it requires that work in order for us to be saved. And we know that's not true because it says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if baptism was part of your salvation, then that would be some type of a work that you would have to do to receive this salvation. But it says it's not of works. So we understand not being baptized does not mean you won't make it into heaven. And the example that we have for that truth, I always like to back everything I say up with scripture, even though I'm sure we already know this, but we know what happened. Luke 23, 41 on the cross, Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, who stand to the thief, this day you're going to be with me in paradise. But of course, those circumstances was pretty exceptional. Of course, he couldn't say, uh, excuse me, soldiers, could y'all let me get down right quick so I can run and get baptized because I want to go to paradise today with Jesus. No, he didn't do that. And of course, we know that sounds kind of silly, but, you know, he went. So I think that's just recorded for us so we can see that even if somebody gets, you know, gives their life to Christ on the deathbed, they still going to make it into heaven because they didn't have a chance to get baptized. So it does not we don't have to have baptism to be, you know, get our salvation. But of course, we should do it because Jesus commanded us to. So baptism does not make you a believer. It just shows that you already are a believer. Baptism does not save you. I'm glad that you've already told them all this stuff. Baptism does not save you. Only your faith in Christ Jesus will do that. So baptism is a command by Jesus and it is a way that we can demonstrate our love for him because he did say in his word, listen, if you love me, keep my commandments. So therefore, let's get baptized. And you can see that baptism is for the believer. So once you receive Jesus as your personal savior, now you're ready. You're ready to get baptized. And um, some examples of that is Acts 8 and 12. This is King James. Once again, it says, but when they believed, what did they do? They believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. So they after they believed, then they get baptized. So baptism is just a public declaration of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has already accomplished within us. I think I, when uh, during the praise team, I think he said something about that. He corrected himself first, actually. And he said, wait a minute. That means this is a, or something that has already taken place. 
So that's what we, we, we're celebrating. Or you could say it's a symbol of your new life as a Christian. It is your public confession of your faith and your commitment to Jesus Christ. It's about being in Christ, and that's what happens when we believe it and we receive it. We get placed and we get immersed, baptized into Jesus himself. And water baptism is just an awesome symbol of what has already taken place, right? So baptism doesn't cause anything. It's just a celebration of what has already happened. We are just publicly declaring that I am in Jesus and he is in me. And I brought this here today. <laughs> this is a good illustration of what happened. Now, this is an illustration of what happened when we received salvation, not when we got baptized. But this is just kind of to show you. I don't know if anybody's seen this before. Maybe you have. This is just bare repetition. But it's kind of like if I take this empty water bottle and I take it and I put it in here, two things happen. The bottle just filled up with water. So the water is in the bottle, but the bottle is also in the water. Now, if I take this cap and I put this cap on the bottle, now the water is sealed in the bottle, but the bottle is still in the water. So Jesus is in us and he is sealed in us, but we are still immersed in him. We are in Jesus and Jesus are in us. So that's kind of a picture of what happens when we give our life to Christ. We are sealed. Uh oh, now I got to get my get my uh, tablet wet. I don't want it to conk out on me. So Ephesians 1 and 13, what does it say? Tells us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. A barrier has been formed to keep sin out and to retain the purity of our born again spirits. And that's what's just so awesome about our God. We have been sealed. We don't have to worry about it. We are, we are placed as permanent in him. And this is what water baptism is a symbol of, that we are immersed in Christ and Christ is in us. Now, I'm going to give a little illustration of what the symbol of a baptism is. And maybe you might have heard this illustration. I don't know. Now, Imagine that if, let me see, what should I do first? Let's say that I'm not married right now. But let's just say that I'm not married. And then I take a ring and I put it on my finger. Well, does that mean that I'm married? No. It's not married. Well, in the same way, I can come to a church and be baptized. But does that make me a believer? No, I just went down a dry center and came up a wet one. You know, so, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't change. But now imagine if I was married and me and my wife actually did go through the ceremony and I got married, but I just didn't have the ring on my finger. Now, would that mean that I'm not married? No, it wouldn't. I would still be married because we did go through the process. So this ring is just a symbol, right, that we got married. Just because I don't have my ring on don't mean that we didn't get married or just putting a ring on my finger without getting married don't mean that I am married. So the ring is just a symbol. So similarly, I can be a believer in Christ, but not be baptized. My sins are still forgiven. I am still sealed. You know, I, I, I'm in Christ and I'm ready. But how about this? Imagine that I truly was married 
And I really, 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 really do love my wife like I really, really do. <laughs> now, would I wear my wedding ring? Yes, sir. Absolutely I would because I want the whole world to know that I love my wife, that I am committed to her, that we are one together, and I want everybody to know about it. Well, in the same way, if you have trusted Christ to save you from your sins and he is your Lord and your Savior, he's the joy of your life and you committed yourself to him, then you want the whole world to know about it. So you want to make a public declaration and I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to make a statement to everyone that I have trusted Christ for my salvation and I'm committed to living for him. So this water baptism is just a symbol, representation, just like a wedding ring, you know, that I'm in communion with God and I'm trusting him. And now this is the best part. I got a new identity. I got a new identity. Second Corinthians 517. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm sure we all know that that verse. And of course. I know Pastor Steve is here. I know, of course, we know that that's talking about our inner man, our born again spirit. That's not talking about our soul. That's not talking about our flesh. It took place on the inside. But some other awesome things happen at salvation also. And I like this. First Peter two and nine says this is what happened, too. But we are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And uh, I like the Darby uh, translation a little bit better on 1 Peter 2 and 9 because it says, but we are a chosen race. That's a better translation. We are a chosen race. And then I like this word, a kingly priesthood. That's what happened when we got. We are now, we're all, not, we are all kings now, a holy nation and a people for a possession. So we are chosen race. In other words, we are now the body of Christ and we comprise a holy nation and we have been made kings and priests. I mean, you ought to tell your next door, tell your person sitting next to you, how does it feel sitting next to a king? <laughs> how does it feel sitting next to a king? Because that's that's who we are now. That means we have power and authority and dominion over the enemy. And notice in the Darby translation, it doesn't use the word peculiar. See, a lot of times when people hear that word peculiar, they say, man, they think it's weird or strange. Well, as a matter of fact, when they think about us, they probably say that, hey, man, them people over there, them tongue-talking folks, whew, there's something wrong with them. They crazy, I don't know, but no, it doesn't really mean that. The Darby translation has it a little bit more correct. It says a possession. And so that's just meaning that we have been purchased with a price, the highest price that could ever be paid for anything. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. So that's what that is saying. We're not weird people. <laughs> We're not weird. This is just saying we are a rare, precious treasure that God bought at the highest price. And now we have been made kings and priests. We got power. We got authority. We got dominion. And that's what that's the way God intended us to leave. I mean, to live. And I know when he had those seven, uh, those, those seven things up there we're supposed to have. I think a king should be operating in all seven of those at all times because that's what we have. But that's what God made us when we got this, when we, uh, we got this salvation. And Romans 517, the amplified version says it that way. It says we will reign as kings in life 
through the one man, Jesus Christ. So this is what happened when we got born again. This is what baptism is a symbol of. Baptism is a celebration of this new relationship and this identity that we now have in Christ. So not only are we baptized into him, but we also have been baptized into a chosen race and we have been baptized into the body of Christ. We're all together now. We are brothers and sisters, right? First Corinthians 12, 13 says it better. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and we have been all made to drink into one spirit. So this is speaking of something that takes place automatically when we got born again, immediately upon salvation. Bam! Immersed into Christ. Believers are placed and baptized into the body of Christ and that everything that he has purchased for us on the cross. It's all ours. It belongs to us. So we got to go into some little detail with this one, though. This means believers are united with Christ. We are his body. But sometimes you can get these baptism in some of these verses can get mixed up and it, it has caused some confusion, you know, out there, and this is why some people believe, well, look at that. You got to be baptized in order for you to, to receive salvation because they look at verses like this and they get it wrong. So let's look at this. This verse says that we've been baptized into one body. <laughs> now, it's important to understand that that verse is what happened when you were born again by hearing the gospel and putting your faith in Jesus. Water baptism, like we said, doesn't cause you to get baptized into one body. It was your faith in Jesus Christ that caused you to be baptized into one body. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is, like I said, verses like this can get misinterpreted. And if people believe that the phrase baptized into one body is talking about water baptism, because on the surface, it may seem like it's talking about water baptism, but that's not what it's referring to. This verse is not speaking of water baptism. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews, the sixth, uh, sixth chapter, second verse speaks of doctrines of baptisms, plural. So there's more than one baptism. This, this here is not talking about water baptism, but it's talking about the Holy Spirit baptizing us into Christ. And once again, the reason why it's so important, because it causes this verse to be misinterpreted as meaning water baptism is the act that causes salvation. But of course, that's not true. So if you read that verse like this, you know, I mean, if in the back of your mind, if this is what you're thinking, it says, know ye not that so many of us as were water baptized into Jesus Christ, then you could conclude when I got water baptized, it caused me to receive Christ. But of course, we already established the fact that that's not true. We can't get it that way. It's only by having faith in Jesus. So this verse explains what happened when we received Christ. Like I showed here, you got immersed into the body. It didn't cause the salvation. Baptism is just a sign that this did happen. Now, there's another passage of scripture that I, because when I got to this one, I said, well, we got another one that may be even more misleading than this one. And that's uh, John 3, 5 and 6. This is a verse that messes a lot of people up. Jesus answered. This is when he was talking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered, said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water 
and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then some people say, see, 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 it says it right there. You got to be born of water and the spirit to get into the kingdom of God. But that's not right. That's, that's, that's not what the scripture is saying. Some people will quote it and think that, and they are assuming that Jesus is talking about water baptism, but that's not what the scripture is saying at all. But what is the scripture saying? Well, it's just as easy as reading the next verse. I mean, sometimes I tell people, sometimes we get to a verse and we stop and we don't keep going. Pretty much the Bible will explain itself if you keep reading. You know, it's going to show you what it's saying. But if you stop right there, you know, it's wrong. But the very next verse says, that which is born of the flesh, that's talking about mom, <laughs> is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So actually, Jesus is really just saying the same thing twice. He's saying that you have to be born of water, which is the same thing as saying you got to be born of mom. Of course, we all know that when in, in, the, in, the, in the body that you're in that, that bag of the, uh, the sack of water for about nine months, right, before you are born. So that's being born of the flesh. That's being born of mom. And then after the child grows up, he hears the gospel and they believe and they receive. Now they're born of the spirit. So Jesus is just making it simple. He said, listen, you got to have a natural birth, but you're going to need a spiritual, a spiritual birth also. Just the one's not going to do it. So it's one thing to exist on this planet, but it's another thing to be placed in Christ. Oh, that's where we want to be, right? In Christ. We got to get into there. So that's the spiritual verse. So this is another verse that we have to understand there. Therefore, being born of water is not talking about water baptism as being essential for salvation. We got to be born again of the spirit to receive it. And this completely eliminates. I know a lot of us heard about this stuff. This completely eliminates the idea that if you ask somebody, hey, man, are you saved? Oh, yeah, man, I grew up in church. Or, well, I, my, my parents was Christians. I came from a Christian background. And this is the worst one of all. Well, when I was a child, I got baptized. And they think that that's good. They think they're good. I mean, I've had several people, and I know you probably have, Pastor Steve, have you ever? Somebody said that they got baptized as a child, and they thought they was good. I haven't stepped my foot in the church since then, but I got baptized as a child. I'm ready to go. I was like, yeah, you're ready to go, but not where you think you're going. <laughs> so, um, you got to tell, so, and then, you know, that reminds me that just not too long ago, recently, I had somebody come up to me and said, well, we just had a baby, and they was asking me, do I do baptisms? And I was trying to, you know, see how I could nicely turn them down, <laughs> because I'm like, well, no, we don't do that. I said, you know, baptism is something that you have to understand you know, you, you know, of what happened is, is, you know, a saying that I've received Christ. And I said, this child don't, she don't, she don't have no recollection of that. So I kind of told him that, no, we, we don't do that. So it's just a sign. It's, it's, you, you, we have to understand it so we know. It's something that has already taken place, right? Already taken place in our life. And that's what baptism is for. It is for the believer. It's not going to get you saved. 
You can't think that you got it done as a kid. And I know that kind of sounds funny, but people, I believe people till to this day, there's somebody out there right now who thinks they're on their way to heaven because their parents told them when they was one, they got baptized. And that's just a dangerous thing. So it is a sign that you've trusted in Jesus. You've given your life to him. Water baptism doesn't produce salvation. Growing up in the church, don't do it. Your, your, your parents was Christians. <laughs> That's not going to do it. You got to have your own personal relationship with Christ to get it. So you got to be born in the natural. You got to be born of the spirit. And that only comes by having true faith in Jesus Christ and accepting him as our savior. And once you done done that, like I said before, you can get baptized. But now, uh-oh, let's get into the, the heavy part. Once you have been baptized in the Christ, you know that there's something that God expects us to do. I think there is something kind of required of us. After you have been baptized, I got a couple of verses here. This is 1 John 2 and 6. He said, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, so to walk, even as he walked. Oh, man, you mean I got to stop doing all that stuff? No more going out to the bars on Friday night. No more. But you know, me and my girl, we get together every. What? I got to do what? First John 3 and 3. And every man that hath this hope in himself purifies himself even as he is pure. What? You mean I got to start living like Jesus too? Man. Yeah, we got something that we're supposed to do too, right? Jesus is our example, and all of us Christians should act just like Jesus to act as much as possible. And we see an excellent illustration of this and what baptism represents in Romans chapter 6. Now, there's no way I can go through all those verses. So, <laughs> so I'm going to hit on some of them. I'm probably going to have to skip some, but we'll just get to the important ones. Well, they're all important, but we'll hit on some. <laughs> Romans 6, 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, in the previous chapters of Romans, Paul explained God's grace so well and beyond the shadow of a doubt that our salvation is not based on performance, but it's based on what Jesus did and our putting our trust in him. I mean, he showed us that God is no longer imputing sins against us. He showed us that, you know, we are the righteousness of God. It's completely based on what Jesus did. And when you preach the gospel of grace the way it should be preached, this question should come up. As a matter of fact, if this question don't come up, then you probably ain't doing a good job. I know that's not perfect English, but that's the truth. If that question does not come up, you're not doing it right. Because somebody should want to be saying, wait a minute, you mean I can just go and act like any kind of way I want to act? That's what getting the gospel makes you want to ask. So I guess Paul answered this question before they could even get it out there. As a matter of fact, he answered this question three times in the book of Romans by itself and, uh, and one time someplace uh, another time. He answered this question, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So in other words, now that we have been saved by grace, we understand we are no longer under the law. We are under grace. God doesn't demand our holiness. You don't have to be worthy. You don't have to earn his favor. You don't have to come to church. Well, well, I'm not saying that. Here you got to come to church. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but you ain't got to come to church. You don't have to read your Bible three times a day. You don't have to make sure you fast three times a week. All of that stuff is good, but it's not going to earn anything for you. So now that we know that, that it's just based on what Jesus did for us, all our sins are forgiven. And plus, I just said, and we're sealed too? Man, I mean, I'm going to have me a good old time. But does that mean that we just go out and live ungodly and just do anything we want to do? Of course, his answer in the second verse, God forbid. And according to my friend Andrew Womack, he said that's as close as you can get to cussing without doing it in the Greek. When he said that, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, we know that our physical bodies are still capable of sin. Of course, we know that. But this is talking about this inner man. Our brand new born again spirits are totally new and is dead to sin. Now, I'm going to go into that a little bit more detail because that's one of the things that kind of it was hard for me to get years ago. I was like, I just I don't understand. I thought I was missing it because I was like, well, I'm sure not dead to sin. What's going on? You know, I, I didn't really get a grasp of that. And then uh I do now, of course, but back then it just didn't make no sense to me. How, how are we supposed to be dead to sin? So now remember the illustration that I just did earlier with this water bottle and we put it in there and said that we were sealed. So Satan cannot get inside of our spirit. So we are sealed in there. So it's saying that it's talking about this inner man. So that makes sense. Okay. I can understand that. He can't get in the inner man, but still I'm like, but what about, but I still, I'm not dead to sin, you know, as far as my actions, I guess, is what was holding me up. And I couldn't kind of understand that. So a born again person, though, cannot sin in their spirit because they're dead to sin. So on the other hand, though, our physical bodies are not dead. Our souls are not dead. You know, so it's the old man, the sinful nation. It's still alive. It's not dead. It's just in here. So I'll say, okay, Lord, I got half of it. I got half of it. I understand that in my spirit, my spirit cannot sin because it's you. And the Bible says that he is, so are we in this world. So it's identical. Well, I guess that's my next scripture I had on here. Well, I just said it. <laughs> First John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. <laughs> so Paul's answer to the question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we live in sin when we are dead to it? And then, now that we've been baptized, we know as Christians, we shouldn't live that way. That's not the way we're going to live. We're dead to it. So he says, no, you don't do that way. That's not who you are anymore. And then the second reason, I'm just going to give this one now because I'm not going to get all the way down to the 16th verse anyway. But 6 and 16 says, Know ye not that whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So that's just saying that if you yield yourself to sin, then you're yielding yourself to the author of sin, which is Satan. And what do we all know? What does Satan come to do? Still kill and destroy. You got it. So if you yield yourself to sin, you are yielding to him, which is the author. And all he's going to try to do, well, he'll probably be successful at it. He ain't going to try to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to come in and still kill and destroy. And he's going to wreak all kind of havoc in your life. So I'm going to be nice about it because I heard Andrew say it a different way. But I'm saying, so if you were smart, 
you wouldn't sin. I could use another word that starts with S. <laughs> and I know if y'all listen to him, he said, you know, sin is stupid. But God still loves you, stupid. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a, I'm a little more softer than that. But committing sin is stupid, especially when you're a Christian and you know better. But so one thing about that, though, but when you know this stuff about grace, see, that's why sometimes we have to let people know that, because even though we got this freedom and we know that Jesus has, you know, he's not imputing our sins against us and that's not going to affect us. But if you're smart, you wouldn't do it because of these, you know, for that reason alone. So if a Christian sins, it's not that God's going to turn away from us. We understand that. We understand God's not going to be angry at us. He's not going to condemn us. He's not going to just stop answering your prayers. It's not going to affect our relationship with him. So, you know, and praise God for that. And he's not going to love us any more. He's not going to love us any less because we're doing it. But if you sin, it's still deadly, not because God rejects you, but because it just gives Satan an open door, an inroad to just come in and tear up your life. So therefore, it's smart as a Christian to stay away from sin, right? And live in the new resurrected life that we now have in Jesus. Let's just, let's just do it. Let's just be what he wants us to be. So shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So now let me go into little and, and, and share with you what, what I learned that helped me to really grasp that. And then once I did, man, I was free. I was really free because I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I get it, I get it, I get it. You guys might have already got it, and this might bear repetition, but this is how you make sense out of that. So, well, I had said this one, I already said it started out, I couldn't understand how am I supposed to be dead to sin? Because the temptation to sin was still there. So what does it mean to be dead to sin? Well, like we said earlier, it's obviously we know what it don't mean. This doesn't mean that you can't sin because you are a Christian. <laughs> we all as Christians have come short of what we're supposed to be. And, uh, you know, and that's another point that kind of messed me up when I was young. Because of the church where, where I grew up in, it just seemed like to me, because we was younger, it just seemed like all the older saints, you just thought as a kid that they was perfect. You didn't think they made no mistakes. But because of the way they treated us. I mean, every Sunday we was back up there getting saved again. Oh, what you do, you got to go back and get saved again. What you did, you got to go back and get saved again. And of course, we all know now that you can't get born again, 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 and again. It's just a one-time thing. But we didn't know that. So we was like, I'm thinking, man, they don't do, they don't never do nothing wrong. They got us coming up here week after week after week. I was like, you know, <laughs> this can't be right. Well, when I read James 4, 17, says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I was like, now, wait a minute. Now, I know everybody messing up now. <laughs> because this ain't talking about just breaking a commandment. But it's just saying if you know to do good and you don't do it, to him that's sin. So I was like, we're not the only ones that need to be up here. <laughs> if this is what, you know, they thinking that it takes. 
because everybody not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we know that it don't mean, oh, and, and, and another thing we know that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that um, if you have sinned as a Christian, that don't mean that you haven't been born again, neither. You know, so it, it, it's, it's not saying that. So to be honest with you, all we got to do when we get home is look in the mirror and you know that this is not true because all of us have fallen short, right? We have all fallen short. All of us have fallen short. So how do we make sense out of this? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in that? What do we do? How am I supposed to get this body under control? What, 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 what is it that I had been missing? Well, when it says we are dead to sin, first, it helps to understand what that word dead actually means. And I know most of us already know this, but it bears repeating. The word doesn't, the word dead, of course, doesn't mean that that's the end, that it's all over with. That just means that a separation. Death just means there's been a separation between the spirit and the soul and the body. And the spirit and soul goes on, hopefully, to live with the Lord in heaven. <laughs> or if not, it's going to the other place. And uh, if yes, the place that you're headed before that we leave this building, maybe we can get that turned around. But that just means separation. So when a person dies, we know they don't cease. They go somewhere. So the first example that we see of this is in the uh, Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, God told them that, look, if you eat of this tree, you're going to surely die. Of course, they did. But they didn't die instantly. It was like 930 years before they actually physically died. But spiritually, they did die instantly. And their spirit, it was, they were separated from God. So they didn't cease to function. You know, their spirit didn't cease to function. It was just separated from God. And that's what happens, you know, with a person who has not been born again. They are still functioning, but their spirit, they're functioning separated from God. He's spiritually dead. That's what we call a spiritually dead person. And he's being controlled by his sinful nature, which is of the devil. And, of course, this is how it happened to every last one of us when we came into this earth. We were all born spiritually dead with a sinful nature because of what Adam did, his fall. And that's why, of course, common sense, that's why we got to be born again. We got to be born spiritually because we we're all born with this fallen sinful nature. So when, Paul, so when Paul says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein, he's talking about a separation from sin. And, then, and this next point I'm about to make, this is what really helped me to understand what it really means to be dead to sin. The word sin in this verse, and as a matter of fact, the word sin in the book of Romans, I think it's in there maybe about 48, 49 times or so, Every single time except of once is used as a noun and not a verb. And a noun describes a person, a place, or a thing, but a verb describes an action of a noun or, you know, a person, place, or thing. So most of us, when you talk about sins, we always think about the act of sin. You know, somebody did something. Man, did you hear about so-and-so? They cheated on their wife. You know, something like this, and we quick to point stuff out that somebody made, mistakes that somebody made. But we're talking about an individual sin. But when the book of Romans talks about sin, it's talking about a noun. 
It's talking about a person or a place or a thing. So what that means is it's talking about the sin nature. It's not talking about individual acts of sin, but it's talking about the sin nature. So it's saying that we are now separated from that sin nature and we are dead to it. So we have to understand that when we sinned, that didn't cause us to become a sinner. But because we had a sin nature, that's why we sinned. We were just being who we are. You know, it's like a, you know, like a pig. If I go to a farm and pull a pig out of the, out of the, the mess, hold him down and clean him up, get him a new environment, got a nice grass, maybe build him a nice fancy pig house. And he got three and leave him out there for three months. He don't have no mud, no nothing. I say, okay, he probably got it figured out now. I can probably take him back to his pig pen and he ain't going to get in there. He's going to be like, you know what? No, that's not me no more. Man, if I take that pig out there, he'd probably make a beeline right for that mud and get back in there and start walling around. Why? Because that's his nature. That's what he's going to do because he's a pig. Well, when we were born with a sinful nature, we sin because that's who we are. So he's saying here that we have been separated from that sin nature, which used to make you sin, but now you no longer have a sin nature that compels you to be a sinner. That man is gone. And I was like, oh, so is my sin nature. And I said, now I understand. He says, that's why I'm dead to sin, because I got this new spirit in me, and now the sin nature that was compelling me to sin, he's no longer in there compelling me to sin. And that's why I am dead to sin. And I was like, "Woo! thank you, Jesus. I get it. I am free. But when you're thinking of it as an individual act and you was like, well, man, I ain't dead to that yet. Now we're going to get to that next. We're going to get to that next because you saying, well, you know what? I understand that. But, man, I'm still having a hard time. <laughs> I'm still having a hard time. Well, we shouldn't be having a hard time. <laughs> But we still have something inside of us that is compelling us to sin, but it is not the sin nature. So that's what happened at salvation. You were baptized into Christ. You became this new creature. The old man with the sinful nature is gone, and it is no longer there to compel you to sin. You have a new nature, and that's why Paul said, that's why he made this statement. How could we live in sin? Because we're dead to it. He was like, man, that nature is no longer there. You can't, well, you can't live that way no more. You got a brand new spirit, and it is impossible for your born-again spirit to sin. And the Word actually tells us that, too. You know, man, see, some of these verses is, you know, where I come from, man, these verses might get you <laughs> kicked out of there. But First John 3 and 9 says, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, that scripture has been misinterpreted in so many different ways. It ain't funny. And I'm not going to take the time to go through it all. But I will say it doesn't mean that if you do commit a sin, you're not born of God. The way you understand that is that the only part of you that is born of God is the inner man, right? 
That's the only part that is. So your body and soul was not born of God. And that born again spirit was created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4, 24, we already said it's identical to Jesus. 1 John 4, 17. So it is this born again spirit that is sealed. Ephesians 1, 13, that cannot sin. It's that born again part. So your born again spirit does not even have a desire to sin. Man, that was in us. You are born again. It doesn't even have a desire. It can't, and it has no desire to do it. Therefore, this is why Paul is saying this. You know, how are we that are dead to sin? How are we going to still live in there? We no longer have that sin nature that's compelling you to sin. We're dead to that. And then in the verse, the next verse, Paul asked a question then. So now he doesn't said that. He's asking a question. He said, listen, know ye not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Now, once again, even with these verses, this baptism in this verse is not talking about water baptism. He's talking about what happened when you were born again and you were baptized into the body of Christ. So he's asking this question. Do you understand what happened when you got baptized into Christ? Huh? You understand? Do you get this? You are also baptized into his death. Do you understand what that's saying? That's saying that your newborn again spirit is dead to sin through the death of Jesus. Now, all this has to happen by faith. You just got to believe and know this. This is what happened to me. You no longer have that sin nature. You're separated from it. And it's just getting that renewed in our mind. So Jesus, he didn't die for, for his sins. He didn't have any. He did all this for us. He said, listen, I did it. I paid for it. So now your born again spirit is new and I, you have been separated from that sin nature. And now we have a responsibility to renew our mind to the truth and act like it. We got to renew our mind to that truth. The old man is gone. And then we got to act like it. And that's what Paul says in the next verse. Look at verse four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should. <laughs> what did it say? We should walk in newness of life. That's what we should do. Because of the fact that we are now dead to sin, there's something that we should do. We should walk in newness of life. We should do Ephesians 4.24. I think every single Sunday before I preach, I always say that. I say we're not only going to be hearers of the word, but we're going to be doers of it. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So put him on. Let's put that new man on. That's what he wants us to do. So then in Romans, uh, keep on going. let's keep on going in that, that chapter, uh, Rome, verse 5. For, or because, if we have been placed together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, now that we have died to sin, now that that old sin nature is gone, we should be walking in his new resurrected life. But it's not just going to automatically manifest itself. There's something that we got to know. There's something that we got to know. Verse 6, knowing this, <laughs> that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
So the way you're going to walk in this new resurrection of life is by knowing something. You got to know something. You got to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that old man is crucified. He's not in there no more. You have to know that you no longer have a sin nature that is compelling you to sin. That's not in there no more. And we all experience in that. You know, before you gave your life to Christ, you could go out and you could sin and you didn't even care. It didn't bother you. Sometimes you didn't have no remorse. You could just go out and do whatever you want to do. But the moment you give your life to Christ, all of a sudden, oh, man, now you kind of, oh, I don't want to go do that. And sometimes you think, oh, no, that's that new born again spirit in there now because that old man is gone. He's not going to push you to say, you know, to, to uh, compel you to sin. That's why the scripture says in Galatians that, look, if you walk by the spirit, you want to fulfill the desires of the lust because the born again spirit is never going to lead you that way. He's never going to do it because he's, you know, he's saying, listen, do what I tell you to do. Do what I tell you to do. We're getting into them. We get tied up. Something happened. We're getting circumstances. Maybe with somebody, an argument or something may come up and the spirit is telling you, you hearing it in the back of your mind. Just drop it. Don't go there. Don't drop. Don't go there. Don't. No, don't drop it. Go get out of that. Nope. Nope. And then boom. Ah, all this come up. And then now it's too late. And then he said, uh, and then you say, ah, oh, man, the Holy Spirit was telling me to keep my mouth shut. We override him, don't we? We've all got to that point where we overrode him, but we know he was in there saying, no, you need to follow my leading. Don't do that. So the only way we're going to walk in this newness of life is we got to know that this man is crucified. He's not, the stat, he's not in there. He's not compelling you to sin. We all want to walk in this new resurrected life. We want it in our physical bodies, this new resurrected life that we have baptized into. We want that in our bodies. Jesus bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. We know that we are healed. We want it in our relationships. We want our relationships to be well. We want it in our emotions. We shouldn't be stressed out. We shouldn't be depressed. We want it in our ministries, right? We should be flowing in the gift of the Spirit. We want it. That's what we want. We want to be walking in this new resurrected life. We want all seven of those things to be going forth in our life. That's what this new resurrected life is going to give us. But we got to know something. We got to know. Verse 6 is a continuation of verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, semicolon, knowing this. That our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin may be destroyed, and we will not serve sin. So we got to know that this old man, this sin nature is dead, and it's not coming back. It's not coming back. I know sometimes we say, well, man, you know what? Mine must have resurrected this morning because I tell you, I just went out and I just acted a fool today. Mm-mm, that, bro, that old man is dead, and he is not coming back. We must believe that we are the righteousness of God. We must believe that I am accepted in the beloved. Pun intended. <laughs> God will never condemn me. God loves me unconditionally. We saw that on the screen in the songs. It's not based on my performance. The truth is the old man and the sin nature is dead and we are separated from that. And then look at verse 7. Man, Pastor Steve, you know verse 7. You could probably preach on that for an hour or longer. <laughs> 
For he that is dead is freed from sin. Man, them, that's, that's shouting. That's a shouting scripture. Freed from sin. Now, see, that didn't make no sense to me until I understood that it's talking about the sin nature. Yeah, I'm freed from that man. That man is gone. That man is gone. I'm freed from sin. Not the individual acts. We, we can still commit it. We can still commit to sin, but it's the sin nature. The root of the problem is gone. The rest of it is up to you. See, you don't have no excuse no more. Oh, man, I couldn't help it. We use that excuse, but it's not an excuse. But we use it, but it's not. Oh, man, I couldn't help it. That's a lie. I didn't say it was a lie. The word said it was a lie. It said that you are that for he that is dead is freed from sin. Notice it said we have been freed from sin. So it's a difference between being freed from sin and actually being free. It's true that your old sin nature is dead and you have been freed. But if you don't know it, if you don't renew your mind to that truth, well, through the ignorance and through the deception of Satan, you're going to continue to be in bondage to sin. Because you don't know who you are. He's going to lie to you and say, well, you just a, that's who you are, man. You're just a worthless nobody and you just you can't live this life. He had talked that to you and then sometimes you'll be at home trying to get one of these tissues because, you know, Satan doesn't beat you up. But we have to know. Satan wants you to believe that the old man is still there and you just can't help yourself. So then every time Satan knocks at the door, tempting you with sin, after a while you fall to that temptation and you say, well, it's because I'm just a sinner. That old nature done crept back again. I just couldn't help it. But of course, that's just a lie. Like I just said, it's the way, it's the way that um, you're thinking is the way that you're going to live. So if you're thinking that way, it's going to mess you up. But when you're in Christ and you can understand and you can renew your mind to, listen, I know what Christ has done for me. I know that the word says that I am the righteousness of Christ. I know that the old man is dead. Because, and if you're thinking about that, you're going to live a holy life because Proverbs 23 and 7 said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you're thinking that's who I am, then you're going to start walking like the way you're thinking. But if you keep listening to the lies, then it's going to pull you down. So if that's the way you're thinking, that's the way you're going to live. You got to know that this sin nature is dead and I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me and I can I can walk in this newness of life. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So the key of walking in this newness of life is, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that henceforth we should not serve sin. So, now I'm finally getting to it, this raises a question. If my born-again spirit can't sin, and it's not giving me any desire to sin, then what in the world is it that's driving me to sin? You know, because I'm not completely dead. Well, like I said, there is a lust of us on the inside of us and every person to sin. And because of that, people, you know, they'll believe that they still got this old man in them and I must have them two in there. I don't know which one is going to be today. I'm schizophrenic. One day I might be on this side. I might. I just don't know which man is going to be who's going to rule me today. That, that's not true. But we just saw that the Bible says you got to know the old man has been crucified and we've been freed. So how do we make sense of all this? 
Well, back to this old sinful nature. It's because before we got born again, we had that sinful nature. And we said earlier, right, we were all born with this sinful nature. So it was nothing that we did to become a sinner. It was just the way we was born and we was just being who we are. We committed sin. We were just um, the old man. And this is what was happening before we got saved. The old man was ruling us. He was ruling our thinking. We was being influenced by the enemy because that was our nature. We were selfish. Some of us had hatred. We may have had some bad habits. We've probably had some addictions. We had some righteous living. We had some filthy mouths. You know, we had a whole bunch of stuff. And in that sixth verse again, now notice this one line in there. It says that the old man left behind a body of sin. Ah, so that's the key. The old man left behind a body of sin. So in the same way that when we die physically and our spirit and soul goes on to be with the Lord and leaves behind this physical body. Well, when we get born again and we get this brand new spirit, the old man left behind a body of sin and all those things that we used to be, the bad habits, the addiction, the anger or whatever it is that you, 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 you know, that you used to do. It left that behind. It left behind the body. And what is that old body that it left behind? It is an unrenewed mind. That's what got left behind. It got left behind is your unrenewed mind. And it's the unrenewed mind that is driving you to sin. It's not the old man. It's not the sinful nature. It's the unrenewed mind that does that. So our, our old, that's why we have to always keep in mind, listen, this old man is dead. It is not that. It's this unrenewed mind. And you got to renew your mind to who you are when you got born again. Of course, we all know the famous scripture, 12, Romans 12 and 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I like the NLT version of that because this is what you really need to do. It says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Man, changing the way you think. You know how much power? Well, we can only go into the power of imagination. That'd be another two hours. <laughs> but, but, um, the, the, the way, man, if we could get our thinking right, oh, it would it, 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 it makes such a big difference in our life. So it says, let God. He wants to do it. He said, come on, let me transform you. Just you got to just change the way you think. I'm, I'm here. I want to change the way you think. Know what happened. Know who you are. Know who your identity is and let me change. you. I can change you if you change the way you think. Get your mind renewed to the word of God. Do like Pastor Steve said, get that word down in your heart. Get it down in there. Don't dig it up every day. Leave it in there. Plant it in there and leave it in there. And that's the beauty of it. He said that your, your, your ground is going to bring food, fruit of herself. You know, if I go outside my backyard and you go out there and you put a, a I don't know, a tomato, you, you grow on some tomatoes and you put that plant, that seed down there in the ground 
If you go out there, you ain't going to hear that seed down in there saying, oh, I got it. You know, making all this noise. No, when you put it in the ground, the ground is just going to do it all by itself. You just water it. Oh, man, that, you know, that, that was so good. And I had talked that to my church. I said, you know what? The ground doesn't care what you put in there. And that's why we got to change the way we think, because if you put the wrong thinking in there, guess what? That's what's going to grow. It's going to get you to the point where you're thinking, well, you know what? I am a nobody. I can't do this life. But if all you putting in there is I'm the righteousness of God, God loves me. He loves me unconditionally. I am not condemned. I got this. You know, if I have power and authority, if that's all you put in there, that's what's going to grow. So we got to get it in there. We got to let it grow. And we got to keep it down in there. Now, I'm getting ready to get out of here because I got five minutes left. Um, let me skip down to here. I wanted to get to this part with this sin. I wanted to skip down to 614. So when you understand, let's say this. If you understand who you are in Christ, you understand that this old man is dead. Well, when you understand that, Romans 614 will become a reality in your life. It says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. The sin that Paul is referring to in this verse is speaking of the body of sin, that that unrenewed mind and emotions that he left behind. He said, no, -uh, that's not going to have dominion over you. It's not going to have dominion over you. So when you understand that that old man, that sinful nature is dead and you understand that I am this brand new creature, then sin will not have dominion over you and you will be able to walk in that newness of life. This is the commitment you're making today when you get baptized. You're saying that, look, I am being baptized into Christ's death. I am dead to my sin nature. I have been raised to newness of life. Now I'm making a commitment to walk in the newness of life by renewing my mind, and I'm going to change the way that I think. The old man is dead, and sin is not going to have dominion over me. So what this means is that we don't have to commit sins. We don't have to, because there is no longer a part of us that's got that sinful nature in there that's driving you to do it. We can destroy the body that that old self left behind by just renewing our mind. And now that we have the spirit of God living inside of us, we talked about earlier that way. Hey, he already made us kings and priests, right? We're kings. We got the power. We got the authority. Listen, we got the dominion over the enemy. Therefore, Satan has absolutely no authority at all over you. None. And we got that authority when we got our salvation. Remember, if we would have went a verse before when I first started that Matthew 28, 28, 18 says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then in the ninth verse, he says, go, therefore. Well, when he said go, he said, here you go. I'm giving you all the power. I'm giving you all the authority. I'm giving you dominion over the enemy. He transferred it to us. Now we have it. And therefore, the enemy does not have, he don't have any dominion over us. So when Satan comes to you with his temptations and he's trying to get you to doubt and he's trying to get you to do something that you shouldn't do, you can exercise your power and authority over him, over sin, and with sin will not have dominion over you because you got authority over him. 
since we know we have been baptized into Jesus and we were baptized into his death, his death was for us and all the benefits that he obtained through his death and resurrection. Those are our benefits. We, got, we have been baptized. We are joint heirs. And I, I know I had that, that in here exactly what we were talking about today. We have inherited everything. And of course, the enemy don't want us to experience any of that. He don't want us to experience any of that. He says, no, you, we, he, he knows. The enemy knows more than we know. If you don't know the word, you're in trouble. You're in trouble because the enemy knows the word and he's doing everything to stop you. But if you know what the word said, then you can, you know, you got something to fight back. He doesn't want you to know about this new man. He wants to keep you in bondage to the old man that you used to be. And, and he wants to try to get you to yield to him because he says, I want to continue to keep stealing and killing and destroying in your life. And that's why we got to know that this man is dead and I have the authority over him. So it says that sin shall not have dominion over you. And you know what that means? Well, we need to understand with this one. Satan can't make you do anything that you don't want to do. Amen. He just can't do it. Remember our born again experience? It doesn't have a desire to sin, so you can't blame it on that. It's not him that's driving you. The old sinful nature is gone, so you can't blame it on that. So if we could commit sin, newsflash, you chose to. You chose to. You chose to do it. Oh, man, I messed up and cheated on my wife, but I didn't want to do it. Yes, you did. Yeah, you did. You did. Uh-oh, am I going to get... Go start the car. <laughs> oh, man, me and the boys went out last night and I got drunk in the skunk, but I didn't mean to do it. Oh, yes, you did. Yeah, you did. You meant to do it because you had a choice. The inner man is the, 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 that that old man is dead. You had a choice. You didn't have to do it. Paul made it very clear that we have been freed from sin. Therefore, sin shall not have dominion over us unless we allow it to. So I challenge you, if you are struggling in any area of your life, to take authority over it in the name of Jesus. It's got to go. You no longer have a sinful nature. You are dead to sin. You, uh, your new born again spirit doesn't even have a desire to sin. And if we just know that, that's how you're going to beat this thing. By knowing who you are in Christ and not falling for any of that stuff. So, I'm born again. My spirit has no desire. This, if you've not, if it does, I think I already talked about Galatians 5.16. So if you do it, then that just simply means you're not being led by the spirit. You're not letting the spirit, you're not letting that inner man lead you. You got to let him lead you. So, well, and I hate to say this one, but it's either you're not being led by the spirit or you don't have a spirit that's been born from above. It's one or the other. Hopefully it's not the second part I just said. But if you are following the leading of the part that's in relationship with God, then he will never lead you into sin or to doing anything. He's going to give you the right thing. So for those today who are being baptized... You are celebrating what has already happened. You've been born again in your born again spirit. You're celebrating that. You are making a public declaration that I understand what happened to me at salvation. 
I put my faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, you are saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone believeth, the Jew, to, to the Jew first and then the Greek. You're also claiming everything that he did for you. I am now a joint heir with him. You are saying I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You are saying every promise of God towards me is yes and amen. amen. I believe we sang about that, didn't we? Every last one. You are celebrating. I have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Woo, I got dominion over sickness, over disease, over poverty, over lack. Man, you celebrating all of that. You are celebrating that I am the righteousness of Christ. I have a personal relationship with God. And how about this? I am in covenant with him. Oh, my goodness. Covenant. Man, a covenant means that everything he got, you have. And it's supposed to mean everything we have, he can have. But sometimes we try to hold on to some of our stuff. I am part of the body of Christ. I have been commanded to love everyone unconditionally. This is called Beloved Church, right? So I know y'all on top of that one. I am now in the kingdom of God and I'm committed to advancing his kingdom. It's not all about you. It's not all about you. When you make this commitment, you're saying, Lord, I'm going to esteem others more than I do myself. Well, hey, that's what the word said. Jesus did it, right? He thought of himself, no reputation. Came down, took on human flesh. He did it for us. I was buried with him by baptism into his death. I was raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And I am going to walk in newness of life. Whom the son has set free is what? Free. Sin shall not have dominion over me. So you are publicly declaring when I go down in that water, oh man, I'm leaving the old man behind. And when I come up, I'm committing to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I am publicly declaring that I am committed to serving my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Back to Pastor Steve. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.